0: Welcome to the latest episode of Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series where we talk about items of interest to the small business community. Today we're going to talk with Jim McGovern of McGovern Wealth, who's been a great partner for the bank and shares the same passion for small business as uh, Enterprise Bank does. And we're going to talk a little bit today about um, you know, financial planning and wealth management for the business owner, which is predominantly our listening and viewing audience. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dave. It's good yeah. to be here.
1: It's been a long yeah. time in coming.
0: Yeah, you're a podcast veteran, right? You're, That's right.
1: You have your own,
0: That's which right. we'll talk about we, as, as we get.
1: We definitely will get so,
0: involved here. But give us a little background on McGovern Wealth and, and you personally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, McGovern Wealth is a, a team of professionals inside of a larger firm called Lifetime Financial Growth. Uh, I've been fortunate, to be with the firm for 22 years, and uh, able to run my own company within a company. Yeah, and uh, you know we, we do serve the small business community, and uh, we're happy to share some wisdom today. Yeah, and you're local, right? Local. Where? Yep. So I live up in the uh, Gibsonia area, but our uh, our office is downtown. All
0: right, neat, neat. So as I, I mentioned a minute ago, I, I think you know a lot of business owners get caught up in a situation where you know they go about their personal wealth management. Uh, from more of a consumer or an employee perspective, than as a business owner, and it's a lot more complicated when you get involved with, with you know owning a business and having that as part of your, uh, essentially your wealth, your personal wealth. So, can you talk a little bit about how it that process or that philosophy needs to be different for business owners
1: versus employees? I mean, some some of the fundamentals are the same. Okay, right. I mean, you figure you still have to. Uh, save for the future. If you own a business, uh, you need to make sure you're you're paying down your debts, you're minimizing your tax bill, you're you're investing, and and you know also protecting. You know, protect your income, your assets. Make sure you have proper legal documents. Um, so those are just universal truths for everybody. But I think from there, uh, planning for business owners is is very different. Um, I think some of this is um, you know, just thinking about you have two balance sheets to worry about, not just one. But also, business owners have a lot at stake right? right? It's, it's not just your own family's well-being that you're worried about, but you have employees. Um, you're their paycheck. Um, you're also their source of medical insurance and retirement plans. You have customers to worry about. You have uh, vendors, uh, lenders, right? Other stakeholders. So there's there's a lot at stake. And I think that one of the things that I always stress with our, our business and our clients is that you have to plan in a way where your personal balance sheet supports the business balance sheet. You have to be nimble. You have to build an impeccable balance sheet. Because your your personal life is going to go through all kinds of twists and turns. There's some expected life events that you'll live through, a lot of unexpected life events that you'll live through. But then there's also on the business side, um, you know, you're going to have some opportunities to pop up. You're going to have economic downturns you're going to face. You have competition to deal with. You have regulatory changes, tax changes. And, and there's all of these things that require capital in the company. And, and you should be able to turn to your personal balance sheet and inject capital in your corporation whenever it's either opportunistic or, or necessary. And that's just the mistake that I see a lot of business owners make is that they're, they're taught to plan like an employee, which is largely, you know, maxing out retirement accounts or loading money into a 529 plan for their kid's college. And while those might be fine for retirement or college, um, you know, they can sometimes get in the way and block opportunities that the business owner might have uh, to inject capital back into their company.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned some of the, let's call it environmental issues around, you know, economic downturns and and market disruptions. I mean, I think a lot of business owners probably learned their shortcomings going through a couple of years of a pandemic. And now we're in an elevated interest rate environment and the cost of goods is higher so I think there's probably a greater appreciation for those outside factors and how you have to plan for them now than there ever was.
1: That's right. I mean, it was like the biggest wake up call I think for a lot of people is that yeah. you know life does throw major curveballs at you, and just when you think everything's going smooth, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I never saw a pandemic coming. Um, <laughs> and, and then you throw the supply chain crisis after that. Um, we saw people that were struggling; they, they couldn't find employees, they couldn't keep employees. I mean, it was just—it's been a real mess. And I think to your point, it, it's definitely. Open people's eyes that you have to plan uh, in a way that you you're emphasizing liquidity and you're nimble and you have a stable balance sheet because you know I, I think a lot of people are just taught to just take lots of risk with their personal money and, and risk feels good when the market's going up but when it's going down, well that's not so good because it's not just the market going down but if you need that money injecting your capital which and uh, sorry back into your business which is also suffering I mean you're, you're kind of throwing bad money after good it's, just, it's a tough yeah. situation to be in
0: and with this interest rate environment, you know, um, it's borrowing and debt is not nearly as inexpensive as it right. was a few years ago. Yeah. So you
1: know, that's not always the answer. It's not, and I think a lot of a lot of businesses always just um, relied on that line of credit, right? And they go, "Oh, I've just drawn it. It's it's practically free money. I mean, the interest right. rates are so low." Yeah. And now they're going, man, I remember those days when rates were, <laughs> you know, 4 or 5%. Now it's, I don't know if you can get a, a line of credit in a business for under 10. Right, right. And well, the times have changed. Yeah. The, the one thing you mentioned, I, I uh, like the
0: approach, you, like, kind of the dichotomy of how a business owner versus an employee approaches financial planning and wealth management. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think employees are largely taught, the, the public in general okay. is taught to lock money up. Right, it's this idea that you know life is going to kind of go in a straight line. Um, I've I've met people that are you know right out of college, and the first thing they're taught is to you know get involved in their company's four hundred and one k plan, max the thing out, and and just kind of put your head down and just save for these life events that are decades away. And um, you know it might be fine for retirement, It might be fine for other things that are that are very long term, but that can have a direct impact and almost form a crisis for a company for for a business owner. Um, you know, I I think one of it's that one of the things I wanted to mention is that it's it's um this misperception of where wealth is created. You know, it, it, people think that wealth is created inside of financial products. It's it's just flat out not true. Um financial products are really nothing more than inflation adjusted holding tanks for money. And you don't have to take my word for it. I mean, you can yeah. just go through history, look at look at retirement account statements, look at yeah. the market history and, and then take out of that. Inflation, take out of it fees, take out of it taxes. And what you have is basically an inflation-adjusted holding tax. So it's not it's not where wealth is being created. Where wealth is created is in owning your own corporation, owning your own company, um, being a really serious real estate investor. I'm not talking about the people who occasionally flip a house. Right. So you can make some quick money. The people that are in the business of real estate. And other than that, it's people that save an enormous amount of their income. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really where wealth is created and, and where it's stored is – like I said, in financial holding tanks. So if you're just going to look at it that way and think about, yeah, that, that's all financial products are. Um, I, I think people they assess risk differently when they think that way. Right. They think, well, wow, I'm taking so much risk in my business. That's where my best rate of return is. The money I'm storing, why not just store it in places that are liquid, that are tax efficient, and you know, and yeah. still get me a decent return? But my real wealth is created over here. Yeah. And I've heard you use the term liquidity a couple of times in the in the business owners
0: world. Yep. Yeah. Because, you know, what I do day-to-day for a living is lend to businesses. And as we just said, sometimes debt's not the answer. But what I can tell you is whether they're good events or bad events that affect liquidity in business, Mm -hmm. they are immediate events. (laughs) That's
1: right. Yeah, it needs to be done yesterday, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and you know, if, if somebody walks into your office and they say, look, I have this giant 401K plan, that doesn't help from a lending standpoint. Right. Right you have to think about as a banker, like, okay, well, where's our safety net? If this company folds, yeah, you know, I, don't want, I don't want to use that as a collateral in fact, you can't even use it as collateral. right. So you know one thing I would, I would just ask the audience to start to, to think about differently is that you don't need to have labels around, around your money. Um, you know, I do a lot of public speaking, a lot of, lot of workshops and, and seminars, things like that, and I've been in front of audiences where I've asked people if, um, if I gave them a certain large amount of money. Yeah, maybe it's like $10 million. And the only rule around that money was that you cannot put it in a retirement account. Right? <laughs> it's the only rule. You can do anything else you want with the money, but suppose you invested that money and it could kick off maybe a half million dollars a year of cash flow. Could you retire? But again, it can't be a retirement account. And I'll have people in the audience say, well, no, you can't retire. And I'll ask them why, because it's not a retirement account. And I think that speaks to the power of financial marketing, is that people think they need a product to match you know, a goal in life like I need a retirement account to retire. It's not true. All you need to retire is you have to have enough money. Where it comes it's from is secondary. Right. So if if you're saving and investing and you're building personal net worth that is liquid and accessible, you're preparing for all life events you could ever face simultaneously. You're preparing for retirement while you're preparing for an emergency. You're preparing for the next business venture, right? You're also preparing for the next crisis that we might face whether it's a pandemic, right. a, a bad economy, whatever it is. But you, you, you have a lot more control when you, when you think that way.
0: And I, and I think it's important to note, and, and a lot of business owners have this disconnect too, they think they only need good liquidity and good cash in, a, in an adverse situation. The exact opposite is true as well. Growth eats cash That's right. in a business. And I've seen it. I've seen business owners that made good livings, took their money and put it in restricted accounts, and the business is growing and needs that cash. Right. So again, you borrow it. Not a bad deal at four, five percent a couple of years ago. Whole different ball game at eight, nine percent. That's right.
1: Yeah, and it, it almost causes this hesitation. It's right. like you've got this great opportunity, but because right. of the the cost of the debt, it's like, yeah. do I really want to want to take that risk on? Right. So, uh, and and one more thing I want to say before we move on is that I think a lot of times when people hear liquidity, they automatically assume that that means just putting money in cash. That's not the case. Right. I mean, you can still invest in the financial markets if you want to. um, But if you do it outside of a retirement account, okay, at least the shares are liquid. Right. Right. So if you want to go buy stock in Apple, Amazon, Google, whatever it is, that's fine. But if it's outside of a retirement account, at least you can take money out of that business and put it into your own if you wanted to.
0: Well, that's a great segue to what I wanted to talk to you about next, Jim, was You know, very different investing in a public company than investing in a small business from uh, a liquidity perspective, from a planning perspective. So can you kind of walk us through, and I know every business situation is unique and different, but, you know, what are the steps to financial plan for a business?
1: For for a business, there's really three main components. So this is going to greatly simplify things for folks. Uh, our process is basically: we want to protect the company, grow the company, and then plan for the exit. Right? Doesn't mean that, that could all be done in one afternoon. Right? There's right. a lot of steps that are that are inside of each of those. But when you think about that protection step, that really should come first before you you worry about how am I going to exit this company? How am I going to grow it? Let's just make sure that the company doesn't go backwards. Let's make sure that whatever the value of the company is today is protected. The cash flow the company is earning is protected, and that buys you plenty of time for growing this company for the future. But philosophically, if you think about, let's let's pick on Microsoft, for example, versus just a, a closely held business. There's things that they have in common, right? They're both companies. They have employees. They have suppliers. They have revenue. But the big difference is, if I ask a business owner, what's your company worth right now? A lot of folks go, I, I just don't know. Or I think it might be in this ballpark. But if I said, what's the price of Microsoft right now? What's the value of it? Yeah, two (laughs) clicks and you have it. And it's updating in real time. So if you own Microsoft and you decide, I don't want to be an owner anymore. Again, in a nanosecond, I hit click and there's a ready buyer waiting for me. right. So five days a week, New York Stock Exchange (laughs) is open. That company is valued and it's liquid. The other thing I would say is, you know, if you think about the impact that the departure of an owner has on Microsoft. Like yesterday, there was many owners of Microsoft that departed. They either sold the company. Um, some people died. They, they became disabled. It had no impact on the company whatsoever. None of the supplies are a closely held business. So there is not a ready-made liquid market waiting. Uh, the value is not updated in real time. And the departure of a key person or an owner uh, is a, a profound impact on the company. It could literally mean the end. Um, So with that, that protection step becomes very, very different. Like you have to look at, you know, what what are the
0: tools that can be used to protect that
1: Yeah, it's not super complicated. I mean, a lot of this is just legal documents and insurance. You know, you you can look at something, for example, most of our our clients don't have a valuation that's been done recently. So we'll do evaluation for them. Um, and that gives them a good assessment of, okay, what's this company really worth under a variety of circumstances? And then from there, let's look at the legal documents. The buy-sell agreement is really your way of creating a market for the company if you want to make a an exit. And buy-sell agreement is going to talk about um, who is going to buy, who is going to sell, um, what are the conditions, what, how's the price going to be determined, how's the money going to be paid, and most importantly, what are the triggering events? So if an owner says, okay, well, um, what's the game plan for when I retire? Okay, what about the other shareholders? Like, like who's going to buy you out? Um, what about a debt, a disability, a divorce? What about somebody doing something unethical for the company? Uh, maybe they're starting a side business and they're competing with the main company. Like, that's a problem, right? right. So you have to spell all these things out in that buy-sell agreement. So if, if you have one, great. Uh, doesn't mean that it has all the provisions that you have. Um, one of the things that we found is that a lot of our clients – the lawyers that they have that drafted the buy-sell agreement uh, may have been handling a lot of other corporate issues or other personal legal issues, and they don't do a lot of drafting of buy-sell agreements. So it has some of the generic provisions in there, but it hasn't been updated in a long time. Um, the values are old, the insurance policies. Or it's are... not business-specific to that company's dynamics. Correct. Or, yeah. and this is this is probably the easiest takeaway for folks, is that it hasn't been looked at for the owner to be both on the buyer side and the seller side. Like it's always like if you and I own yeah. a business together, it's like, okay, well, if Dave dies, here's what's going to happen. Right. But I don't always think about it. Well, if I die, what happens? Or maybe we have three or four partners. And we say, well, if, if Dave wants to retire, here's how it's going to work. Great. Well, have you tried on this agreement where if two partners or three partners all decide to retire at the same time, does the company have the cash flow to even support that? So I was with a, a company recently, and that was exactly the conversation, was that you had a few owners that were getting older, and they just assume that I'm going to retire. The company's worth this. This is what I'm going to put in my pocket. That's enough to take care of me in retirement. I'm good. Right. And it was like playing hot potato. Because they said to the one guy, I'm like, well, yeah. these guys are about the same age. They're yeah. they're going to exit at the same time. Are you going to have the money to both feed your family, run this company, and buy these two guys out at the exact same time? And he looked like a deer in headlights. He's like, I never thought about it that way. So these agreements are... They're serious. Again, you are literally creating the market for that business, and we want to make sure that you're very aware of what the provisions are and, and, uh, and make sure that the, the money is matched up with the, with the agreement. And that's where I think there's big gaps. Um, you know, a lot of people don't have – they may have some life insurance for the buy-sell agreement, um, but it may not be enough to make the transaction go, go through. Um, I would say in 22 years of doing this, um, I haven't seen a single business owner that had disability insurance for the buy-sell agreement which is amazing because the probability that you die before the age of 65 is a lot lower than the probability of having a health issue. Exactly, And you can't work. So disability insurance, uh, key person insurance, things like that, that all goes into that protection stuff. So long-winded answer, but there's a lot to it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, buy-sell agreements obviously primarily amongst existing owners. So what about if you don't if you're a, a sole proprietor or you're a single shareholder um in a corporation or uh LLC or something like that. What can be done
1: for planning for a sale to a third party? So this is a this is a great question. So if it's a single owner company, um from the buy sell agreement standpoint, you know, it, it could be where you do a one way buy sell agreement where you have a an agreement with um an insider in the company, maybe it's a key employee that they're going to step in and buy you out. Uh, it could be with a, um, a friendly competitor. So There's plenty of ways to handle a buy sell agreement. If you're, if you're just a sole, a sole owner, the other thing I would, I would throw out there is, you know, let's make sure that the company has a market value. Uh, a lot of people are business owners, but what they really own is their job. Um, they are the business. So if you walk away, I'll, I'll just pick on, um, I'll pick on an example of let's, let's use a, um, let's use a consultant. Right? They could be taxed like a business owner. They could have an LLC to have their, their revenue go through it. But if they're doing all the consulting work, they may have some employees, but that's not a, it may not be a company they can actually sell. So there's easy ways to solve that and make sure that, hey, if you died, let's make sure that the family gets the value of what that company could have sold for maybe. Um, and that can either be just through sort of some simple life insurance or it can be through a, a buy-sell agreement with a, with a competitor. Yeah. Well, I had an interesting example. I met with a contractor,
0: probably it's close to a year ago now, and it was a business acquisition deal. Um, And went and met with the seller, and the seller continued to brag about how he was best personal friends with his three key customers, and they hadn't written a contract with each other to do business together in 25 years. What happens when that seller and those personal relationships –
1: go away. Yeah, done. That's <laughs> it. It's toast. I mean, I, I had a similar conversation with somebody this morning that they were saying that, you know, the company, the the one owner is basically the, the lead sales guy. All the key relationships are his. He's really bringing all the revenue. His partner is more of the operations guy, but the owner is more of the sales guy. And this is a very successful company, by the way, his entire family is involved in this business. I and mean, we're talking about, you know, his, his wife, his kids, um, He's got nieces and nephews in the company. He's got uh, siblings in the company. And I said, what about the other owner? He goes, not a single family member. He goes, I can tell you for a fact, there's not one of of my family members that will work for this guy if something happened to me. (laughs) I said, so what happens if you drop dead tomorrow? He's like, he's done. And I'm like, but he's holding an agreement. He probably thinks that it's going to work differently. I said, do you think it would be important for the two you to have a conversation? He goes, I think it's time to do that. Yeah. When yeah. was the last time you guys updated this agreement? It's like it's been it's been years and years and years. Like so, this company has grown tremendously, and the agreement—it's it, just probably time for a refresher. Yeah, we call it personal goodwill when we're or yeah. lending versus business goodwill. That's right. <laughs> I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes as a lender, going <laughs> knowing that yeah it <laughs> might might change the risk of that loan a little bit. Exactly, but you know that does not have to be the case
0: if the business owner does the right planning, and I think biggest thing that I've seen in the history of lending into business acquisitions and business succession is the focus has to be on the key staff members that make the business go and giving yourself enough of a window as the business owner to start delegating responsibilities
1: so that the business is not entirely you. Right. Yeah. Because think about it from a third party's perspective. And that was the conversation I had with this guy this morning was that that's it, if a, if a private equity firm wants to come in and, and buy you out, and they know there's nothing tying these key people to the organization, there's no incentive to stick around, and they're all close to you, if they leave when you leave, if you were the buyer, what would you pay for the company? Yeah. And he's like, nowhere near the value. I'm like, so fortunately for him, there's time. He's not ready to exit the moment. Right. So it's starting to think, to your point, you have to start to build your own replacement side of the firm. You've got to recruit some talent, you've got to train some people, and you've got to take everything off of your plate and get under theirs, and if that's done correctly, that brings up a whole other exit path, which we'll get into in a minute. But maybe you don't want to want to sell the company in the end anyway. The company might be self managing at that point, passive for you. That's right. So let's talk about long before yeah. the the exit, right? Let's talk about the growth step, right? Right. So if it's okay, my company's protected, the cash flow secure, or you've got a nice viable business here. Uh, let's talk about growing it. I mean, the company in almost every case that we work with. Um, the value of the company is the key people, right? If those key people all got up and left today and never came back for most business owners, that's going to hurt. That could, that could take away key relationships. It could, it could crush revenues. Um, so there's, there's a lot of value tied up in that talent. And talking about the environment,
0: tightest labor market, I can remember in my professional career.
1: Brutal. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where everybody is. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's good jobs out there and they're right. vacant. And so we just seen so many businesses have a really hard time finding really good people. And you know, keeping them. And keeping them. <laughs> I was going to say, there's people that, you know, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, I saw that this uh, this quiet quitting thing, I'm not sure if it's still going on, but it's like, people have figured out, I can work from home, work two or three jobs at the same time and make way more money. Uh, and then like work's not getting done, yeah. right? So, and then all of a sudden they just abandon their employer and they go, I'm, I'm going to take another opportunity. Great. Well, how do you fill those shoes? So... That growth step is, if you look at the key people, the ones who really impact the revenue, what can you do to align their interests with yours? So sometimes we call these golden handcuffs. If you can give them financial incentives to perform at a higher level and grow revenue, that in turn is going to grow value. So by giving them the ability to, um, you know, I, I guess, have some serious profit, right? some nice incentives that if I, I stick around for the long haul, 10, 15, 20 years, and here's the pot of gold waiting for me to get in the rainbow, um, that plan will pay for itself if you design it properly. So it's significant enough to keep people from looking elsewhere, but it's also money that's tied to important events in their life. But it's also something where if they're, if they're tied in long after your, you know, your targeted exit date, it, it makes the company value for the buyer. much yeah, more yeah. valuable. Right? Yeah. I'm just trying to think of myself as, an, as a new owner. If I'm coming in and buying a company and I go, wait, all these key people – are still going to be here once I'm the owner of this company, that's a lot more comfortable versus like they might all be gone after the closing table. Right. It's like, well, what am I going to start with? There's no way I'm going to offer anywhere near as much for a company like that. Right. So that, that retention planning, uh, a lot of times we call this retention bonus planning. Right. You know, it it can be a, a lifesaver. If nothing else, it just cuts down on your recruiting costs right and, and trying to deal with the loss of revenue every time somebody quits All right uh, and, and by the way, they're very different than the benefits that, em, that employers offer. you know 401k plans everybody has one health insurance I mean when you're doing your interview, that's like the first right. thing that's what do you have health insurance do you have a 401k do you All have right. you have know, some other insurance plans? Everybody's offering that, and even if you have a nice bonus program, that tends to keep people motivated through the end of the year. Short term. Once I yeah. get that big bonus check, it's like yeah. okay, now maybe I'll take that other job I've been not telling you that I've been <laughs> interviewing for. Right. Good point. All right. So a, a retention bonus program is first off, they're they're simple. They're not um, something where you have to include all your employees. You can really be targeted to certain specific people. But the benefit is completely deferred, and you know, typically they're they're significant enough where employees say, like, seriously, like if I do this, I'm going to get that. I mean, yeah. gets them excited, and, and it. it, it they show up to work much more motivated, and they perform at a higher level. And if they don't, they don't get the pot of gold. Simple as that. So um, generically, and we could do a whole other um,
0: probably a whole day webinar on business valuations. So you know, what's the typical approach in valuing a business or some of the tools that you use to help owners –
1: yeah, so I, I think you have to think about what the purpose of the Set of base value and how you grow it from there. Right, so I think with the with valuation, you have to think about what the purpose of the valuation is. If it's more for planning concepts, right, right. Um, we use some software-driven tools that are pretty darn accurate on what that market value of the company is. But what, what's nice about these tools is that they keep the value of the business up to date. So you literally can log in whenever you want and see, what's my company worth right now? Now, you may have to update a few of the financial numbers right. in there to get a, a true updated value. But it gives you a really good sense of direction of, if I was going to sell this to a third party, what would the company be worth? If I was going to try to sell this to an insider and there was going to be a discount for a minority interest, what's that worth? And I think the most eye-opening one is, what's the liquidation value? Like, if you don't have a plan right? and you have to liquidate this company, is it worth anything at all? Yeah. Um, so those are really good tools that you can start to use for benchmarking okay, this is where we are now. This is where I need to be as an owner. So when I exit, I can move off into retirement. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have a, an idea of what the gap is. Yeah. And then when you're looking at these incentive programs, uh, you can tie it back to that value. Right? And if you're updating it every year, I mean, it's not that hard to figure out. It's like, okay, well, if, if this salespeople are the easiest ones to figure out. right? Okay? If they can grow their sales by X, this is the direct impact it has on the bottom line. So if they're growing their sales by X and I'm giving them Y, great, they're they're literally paying for it themselves, all right. But if they don't perform, well, they don't get anything either. So you're not you're not out of pocket for anything. Yep. So, but I would say if you're at the point where you're like really serious about exiting, you're at the point where you're getting ready to sell to a third party, or you're at the point where you're starting to uh, negotiate your buy sells. Yeah. yeah. Well, even the buy-sells, I think that the software-driven uh, versions are, are fine, but it's more like there's a transaction that's going to happen. That's usually when you hire a valuation firm. Right. It's a lot more invasive. Like ours is all, you know, we can do it off of financial statements and tax right. returns, but having somebody come in for thousands of dollars and poke around, and you know, it's a little bit more invasive. Right. Um, but you're doing that because you're at the point where you, you need a, maybe a firmer number that's, um, you know, that's spot on. Right. to handle transactions. transaction.
0: Well, and I, I think another point to what we talked about a, a little bit ago about you know the, the market dynamics and the market disruptions the last few years. I don't think a lot of business owners realize that what's going on in the markets and interest rate environment in particular has an effect on valuations because, again, most buyers are going to use some leverage mm-hmm. to acquire the business. And as the interest rates go up, the values of the business come down because the borrowing capacity of buyers. I just think a lot of business owners maybe had a valuation done five years ago and say, hey, I'm still performing at the same level. I should still be worth the same
1: amount of money. Right. And it's not necessarily the case. Right. We, we reviewed a buy-sell agreement recently for a company that, and you know, we looked at how the price was determined. It was fair market value, yeah. which is great. All right. But then it was structured on a five-year buyout. So again, if you, if you died, I'm buying you out. I have to buy you out in five years, but it was at the prime rate. So when they when they did this agreement, prime rate was like practically nothing, right? Now uh, eight and a half prime percent. was eight and a half percent. So what we did was we said, look, I'm not saying that's a problem. Yeah. It's just can the business support this? So what we did was we looked at the revenues, and it turns out that the company, if if this actually happened, would have to grow their revenues by an extra nine million dollars just to service those Same debt, debt payments because <laughs> they're operating on a on a ten percent right. you know, profit part. margin. Yeah. And I said, well, that's where the money comes from to, to fund this thing. And, again, they looked at each other, and they were like, we can't do that. Right? So it's like, okay, well, we've, got to, we've got to update this and, and, and adjust a few things. So, uh, yeah, high interest rates. <laughs> no one's having fun with this right now.
0: Exactly, exactly. So um, can you just kind of briefly walk us through kind of the, the steps that, that you and your company would take with a business owner that is, let's say, looking to exit a business?
1: Yeah, so the, the exit plan, you know, we always want to hear what's, what's their desired exit plan. Um, it might be that I'm going to transition the business to my kid someday. Or it might be I want to sell to a third party. I want to sell to a private equity firm. Those are just very different exits. Um, when you think about selling to a, to a third party, I mean, you're looking for the highest number humanly possible, right? Now, we want to do it in a tax-efficient manner um but sometimes selling to a third party isn't as attractive as you, as you think um but if we're selling it to a, a family member well you're probably looking for I don't really need the highest number I want to make sure they're going to be able to stay in business I mean third party you yeah. some owners are like I don't care if this right. thing folds after I'm right. gone right um but you sell to a family member you don't want that company to fold right so sometimes we're looking for an insider sale where we're looking for the lowest defensible value so something that would stand up in court if the IRS ever said hey yeah. we're going to challenge this valuation um but what we don't want to have happen is that you end up getting taxed twice. So if you think about it again, let's say I'm buying you out, and I'm doing this over a, you know, a high valuation, it's going to happen over a long time period. Well, where does the money come from? Well, I've got, to make, I've got to have revenue coming in, but I'm going to pay tax on that, and then I'm going to turn around and pay it to you. But because it's a note, you're paying taxes on the interest, you're paying capital gains taxes. So if you run the effect of tax rate and all that, I mean, it might be 50 yeah. to 60%. And I've heard horror stories from business owners that go, yeah, i'm I'm getting crushed, like I was the guy who bought them out, and I'm dealing with this. It's like a nightmare it's just it's just taking up all the all the cash flows in the company, so anytime you get into a situation where we can we can lower the the value but make up the difference with direct payments. Now you're paying taxes once, right, So whether that's a deferred compensation payment, whether that's some kind of consulting arrangement, but there's plenty of ways to get some cash flow that just goes direct from the business to the departing owner where the taxation only occurs once. And when you're the math on it, 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 a lot of times it's a win-win. The The owner that's buying you out is getting more. Uh, you're getting more. And we cut out Uncle Sam, which a lot of people don't have a problem with, right? It's just, <laughs> we just did have a more effective way to do this. but Exactly. So so I would say those, those are really the two big buckets. It's an insider transfer. It's a third-party sale. There's a hybrid. Um, an employee stock ownership plan, for example, can be an yeah. incredibly powerful way to get you – Private equity like money with uh, a heck of a lot of tax efficiency, and you get to see your employees uh, build wealth with the business as well. Um, So, if it's not one of those exit routes, that means that you're going to keep the company. Right. And either you're going to convert to passive ownership or you're going to keep it until you die. Right. Hopefully, uh, you live a long life, but sometimes we see owners they exited because death occurred. It came out of nowhere. Right. So, um, yeah, if you're going to keep the company, it could be an amazing business that you want to keep for multiple generations. Uh, you just have to plan for it and make sure that company is viable uh, long after you're gone. Because once you're gone, they can't call you and say, "Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Dad, Granddad, uh, what would you have done in this situation?" Right, right? right. So you have to have a good team, a good strong management team around
0: you. But I think probably the uh, one of the biggest pieces of advice that came through your comments today was you gotta need the you need the time to do this
1: right. That's right. Yeah, you can't do it overnight. Yeah, uh, you can't do it all at once. But even like a uh, yeah, putting a deferred compensation program to help with that buyout. Like, you can't do that, like, the month before you're ready to exit. Right. right? So when you have several years where you can start to strategize and plan and, and start to, you know, put in place some programs to make this easy, that, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. So that's what you all do. That's what we do.
0: That's what you do. So how can our viewers and listeners learn more about McGovern Wealth, or get in contact with you.
1: Can I give a shameless plug? Absolutely. All right. So you can, <laughs> so you can go to our website, uh, www.mcgovernwealth.com. Um, you can check out our podcast. That's a shameless plug. It's called Maximizing Outcomes. Uh, it's available on all the major podcast platforms.
0: Yeah, I got to uh, participate in that with you. You did? You were an honored guest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a
1: great episode. Everybody should go check that one out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you have a question, I mean, you can go to our website. Uh, there's a contact us button and then just... Yeah, you know, tell me that you you listen to this show and you had a couple of questions. I'll I'll reach out to you and see what's on your mind. You can also email us uh, info at mcgovernwealth.com. And um, yeah, other than that, that's that's the best way to. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show. By the way, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, check out Jim's podcast.
0: I've I've checked out a bunch of their different episodes covering a myriad of topics, both on the business side and um, on the individual side. Great advice for small business owners. Um, You know, this is something that any of you that are already in business need to think about at some point in the life cycle of that business. And I think we agree the earlier the better. So The better. Thanks so much,
1: Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having the show.
0: For those of you that have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. You could check us out in audio format on all the major podcast platforms and in video format on YouTube. Thank you for watching or listening.